Hello, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study here at Celebration Church in the lovely little village of Green Bay, Wisconsin. Greetings to all those on our other campuses, Stevens Point and Appleton, as well as those all over the world who watch on the web. The web. <clears throat> anyway, glad to have you with us. We are doing a, uh, our verse-by-verse study. We are now in the book of 1 Timothy. Paul now has been in taken off to Rome, where he eventually dies. Now there's some who theorize that he got released after a couple of years, only to be rounded up again and brought back there. We don't know. There's no record of it. So we don't, all we know is that's where the Bible leaves off the record where he is. <clears throat> we know he dies there. So anyway, so while he's there, he's catching up and writing letters to all these people uh, and churches that he has been helping and establish. So he's written to all the churches now, and now he writes to two individuals, Timothy and Titus. These are pastoral letters that he is writing and talking to particularly Timothy, a young pastor, and instructing him on how he should behave and conduct himself. So that's where we're at. Before I start, I just want to thank all of you. Uh, my lovely Debbie said, please thank everybody for their prayers and their support and their kindnesses. Uh, and just talking about it made her all teary-eyed and stuff. So I want to thank you guys. For those of you not exactly sure what has been going on, most of you know that she has breast cancer along with uh, malignant, malignant melanoma. And over the last almost 20 years, the one would come go, and the other one would come and go. And uh, last year, they both came at the same time. So she's battling them off both this round, and it's been very, very hard for her. Uh, the last time, oh, it was two, three years ago, she had tumors all over her bones. Uh, the scans are stunning. You know, I keep <laughs> thinking, Tim, I'm going to show this. I keep forgetting to give the pictures to you, so you put them on the screen. Uh, the scans, and you can just see totally covered in tumors. Six or seven months later, the scan again, they were all gone. It was stunning. People were amazed. Well, I say they were all gone. They were all gone except for one. One right in her neck. That one never did go away. And that one has been just, of course, they've been fighting it and doing everything and praying and taking all the meds and stuff like that. That one uh, tumor continued to eat away at her C7 vertebrae bone in her neck to the point it was just eating it all up and all the weight of her head and something was pressing down more and more directly onto her spinal cord and creating considerable pain. She has been in pain like you can't imagine for months. Uh, and no one quite knew what to do. Finally, a doctor at uh, Aurora uh, taking a look at it, and he's the one who figured out what was going on, and he said, we need to get in there right away. You have two options. <clears throat> you can either uh, do the surgery on the neck. We're going to remove that problem area. We'll have to put in a spacer to take the place of that bone and then put plates and everything. So she's like a $6 million man, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, or you can be, become paralyzed, your choice. Well, that's kind of an easy call. <laughs> so, and already, even as they're talking to her, I mean, she's losing feeling and, and, and pain at the same time in her arms. And so we knew we had to act right away. So we acted right away, and they did the surgery, and she came out of it. She was under for six and a half, seven and a half hours, long surgery, and came out, and within a day or two, I mean, already she has dramatically less pain in all of her neck, and all that is gone now. It's just stunning. She still has some pain in her arm. <clears throat> still has some pain in her arm, and they said hopefully that will improve over time, just some, some of the pressure that was done at that time. So it's stunning, you know, what these doctors and nurses can do. It really is. And all of, I believe all of that is answers to prayers in the first place, you know. People say, you know, why doesn't God uh, heal her? Why doesn't he answer prayer? Well, he's answered a lot of prayers right over there, you know. Uh, Lord, where are you? Uh, I felt like you told me, I'm about a, about a mile down from your house, <laughs> over to the hospital, <laughs> get your butt in there. So, uh, so that's what we've been doing, and she's doing extraordinarily well, hopefully. I mean, she's, you know, still battling this thing. It's not over yet, but the immediate crisis uh, has passed. So, and people have been very, very kind and being there, and uh, now they're starting to bring over food. And um, if you'd like to volunteer, 
Call the church. <laughs> Unless you can't cook, don't call. So, uh, <laughs> um, so that's, that's what we're doing. Uh, some have wondered, you know, because the day they're doing, as she's going into surgery, I'm hopping on a plane, taking off. And uh, some have wondered, not, I haven't heard any criticism, but just wondering, you know, people can't help but wonder, you know, well, why, does, why doesn't Mark just stay and, and cancel? First of all, if I canceled all my events when she's in the hospital, uh, I'd be done. I mean, our whole life, we don't say much about it, is constantly to the hospital, the emergency room, <laughs> to the clinic, back and forth constantly, so I, I wouldn't be able to travel at all. <clears throat> the other thing, too, is I don't have a job like most of you have a job. You can take a few days off and still get paid. Doesn't work for me. And when I'm not getting paid, the 10, 15 families that depend on me as well that work for me don't get paid. So I mean, this one, on the one hand, I'm not complaining. I'm very blessed because I, I do very well traveling and stuff. But if you don't do it, it drops from good to zero overnight. And we would literally be bankrupt within, you know, a month or two. So that's why I keep doing what I'm doing. So it's, it's like, you know, on the other hand, people say it must be really hard for me to leave. Uh, yeah, and, and no. You know, I mean, for me, I get a break from it all. Uh, and then you feel guilty for getting a break from it all. It's a crazy thing, this stuff, right? The cycle. Somebody's been shaking your head, you know what I'm talking about. You feel one thing, then you feel guilty for feeling the thing. You're, you know, you're just like, ah! But I've been at it long enough now that I just go, yeah, it'll all go away eventually. So we continue to trust God, and thank you for your prayers and support. So I know a lot of people, because I can't be there, have showed up and spent hours uh, with her at the hospital, staying with her and helping her and... And then when I come home, they come and help me, and it's just been really, really wonderful. And thank you for all of that, and mostly for your prayers, because uh, she can really tell that uh, you're praying for her. There. If you're listening, see, I said it. <laughs> My wife. Don't forget to tell him. I told him. All right. We are in First Timothy now. We're picking up at chapter two. Paul writing to this young pastor. He says... I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So he's encouraging Timothy to pray, and not only him to pray, but to encourage the church, because as a pastor of the church, to encourage him to pray. Encourage more prayer participation, because God answers prayer and responds to prayer. The number one, I've always said this, the number one reason people don't get more answers to prayer is they don't pray. We cry, we whine, we panic. We freak, but we don't pray. We need to learn how to pray. So he says, um, you know, make sure that uh, you know, prayer is happening more, a heavier emphasis on prayer. And he says, for kings and all those in authority. So you've got to pray for these politicians and stuff. Why? Quite frankly, so they will leave us the hell alone. <clears throat> when I say that, I'm not cursing. I'm, it's a theological position because a lot of the thing that comes straight from hell and it literally, that's what he's saying here. He says, not quite as crudely, but he says, why should you pray for them? That we can live peaceable and quiet lives. They'll leave us alone. And we can live in all godliness and holiness and keep doing the work of God. Make no mistake, there have always been major powers in the earth, political powers that hate God and hate the kingdom of God and have over the centuries uh, put a lot of pressure on churches and people of faith. The one thing that actually started this country was people of faith got tired of listening to the heads of state telling them what they could think and what they could believe, kind of like what's trying to happen again today. You know, and so they finally said, stick it, we're out of here. So I said, I'd rather cross the ocean in a bathtub and get away from you. And that's what they did, these little tiny boats. I don't know if you've ever been on one of these little boats. They're little itty bitty boats to get out there no motors just the wind pushing you around it's stunning that they did it and a lot of people didn't make it or you know died in the, but uh, that's what brought them to this country just the fact that we could be someplace and we could worship God and do what we want to do without someone getting on our case about it so we've had this wonderful country for some 200 plus years but now there's a big push again uh, that uh you know, they're trying to control what people think and say. Uh, this largely comes from the, the extreme left. Now, we don't get into politics here. And a lot of people vote both left and right in terms of Republican and Democrat. That, that's fine. Not every Democrat is a leftist psycho. 
Uh, but there are a lot of them out there, and they're getting louder and louder, and they literally uh, are trying to restrict what people can say and what they can think. And we're seeing it more and more on college campuses. They're attacking virtually every institution in this country and have been for decades and are still doing it. Many have fallen. Some are in the process. They're still going at them. The latest word is uh, the Boy Scouts now have been forced to let girls in. Uh, and you know who's really mad about it? The Girl Scouts. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? We have this. You know, so now they're opening this. So, I mean, so they're all upset about it. But they want to destroy every and all institutions in this country. And I promise you, when they're done, they will come straight for us. There is no question. Uh, it's already happening a lot up in Canada. Oh, Canada has such a great system. Well, I don't think so. Uh, nice people. I love the Canadians. Their government's a little jacked up. But, uh, and they literally are starting to enforce what pastors and people of faith can say in the pulpit. That's just coming our way. What do we do about it? Well, Paul says pray. <laughs> pray that they'll leave us alone. Pray that we can live quiet lives. Uh, we need to be involved in prayer and pray for the, the systems and the, the governments that we have and pray that God would intervene and that we could have the, continue to enjoy the freedoms that we have enjoyed for so long. But, uh, you know, make no mistake... <laughs> Things have been changing. They seem to be changing more and more quickly. Uh, and uh, we need to pray more and more in the light of all of it. So what if they do and they come after us? Well, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. I mean, they can never stop. The Jesus said the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Even in very nasty countries like China, nasty to the church. The church thrives incredibly. My guess is the largest group of Protestant believers in Christ is now in China. Huge groups of them. But they've got to all do it under the radar. It makes it hard for them. So we'll keep doing whatever. I mean, the government can stick it as far as I'm concerned. <clears throat> and I'll probably be one of, the, one of the first ones thrown in jail <laughs> when they come for me. So it is what it is. But, uh, but we'll always go. And, uh, but how much better to enjoy the freedoms that we have now? We want to continue to pray. Pray for the government that we have. Pray for our leaders, uh, that godly men and women would uh, rise to uh, places of influence and some of these psychotic nut jobs would stay far, far away. Anyway, <clears throat> you think that's the way we should pray? Paul says yes, and then he says this is good and pleases God our Savior. God even wants us to pray this way so we can live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and honesty and not be harassed by these people. Now these are... Uh, this is a man who's writing during a time when he's under, uh, he's a prisoner under the uh, system of the day, the Roman Empire. These guys weren't exactly friendly to Christians. <laughs> Go look at the Colosseum <laughs> in Rome. I mean, they used to throw them to the lions. I mean, they were brutal. But it is an absolute documented historical fact that Christianity prevailed over the Roman Empire. And eventually the Roman Empire collapsed. And Christians kept coming up more and more. They were everywhere. They were like, we were like going like cockroaches. <laughs> everywhere. They'd smash one place and we'd pop up another. It was like whack-a-mole. And they couldn't get us all. And uh, a lot of wonderful people died, sacrificed terribly. Uh, will be rewarded throughout eternity for their sacrifice. But Christianity continued to grow, even under the worst system. Because the reason I say this, is some people say, well, you know, we're supposed to pray for people in authority, but that's, that's not these stupid people I don't like. No, it's all of them. You know, I'm pretty sure Paul wasn't really crazy about the people who were killing his friends and eventually killed him. Uh, very evil system, the Roman Empire. Very, very bad. But in that context, he says, pray like this. And they prevailed. Anyway, okay, so this is good and pleases God. Why? Because he wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Hard to do if they are crushing the voices of those who proclaim the truth. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Now, this is one of these verses that is very problematic for uh, Catholics or for Eastern Orthodox Christians. It's Versus the same thing, Eastern Catholics versus Western Catholics, Roman Catholics, the Western kind. Uh, because Paul says in no uncertain terms, there is one mediator between God and man. And this isn't anti-anything. We don't hate anybody. And if they disagree, of course they disagree. I don't think I'm going to change their minds one whit. <laughs> People have been saying this for a long time. 
they have come up with lots of other mediators. Saints who can pray for us and holy men who can pray for us and dead popes who can pray for us. And of course, we don't want to forget Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. So now mom gets in on the action as well. Uh, I get what they're trying to do. Uh, They're just wrong. I don't know what else to say. We don't say that hatefully, bitterly, angrily, condemningly. They're They're just wrong. There's one mediator. It's really clear. Let me read it again for those of you who uh, <clears throat> just woke up. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, Christ Jesus. That's it. There is no other mediator. There's no other. Anyone else you pray for. Some people, I know people who pray to their moms who died 10 years ago. I'm praying mom watch over me. and Mom put in a good word for me up there. And like, no, it doesn't work that way. I get it that you love your mom. You know, my mom, I just assume, is terrorizing everybody up there right now. <clears throat> you should see my mom. But, uh, you know, uh, but it just doesn't work that way. You don't have dead relatives that pray for you. You don't have saints that pray for you. You don't have his mom that prays for you. All of that was all added several hundred years later in Christianity and, uh, and carried on from there. Uh, and they've been doing it for a long time. They believe in it very fervently. And again, they're not about to change because I point out this verse. But uh, this is why we don't do any of those things. And really why you shouldn't do any of those things. You want someone to stand in for you? His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for our sins. That's it. Nobody else. He gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has not been witnessed at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. And I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. He's referring to the fact that Jesus himself revealed himself to Paul and uh, set him up as a prophet and an apostle and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles, which is anybody who's not Jewish, which I assume means virtually all of you. Therefore, and whenever you see a therefore, you want to see what it's there for. Uh, what's he talking about? Because of what God has done for us, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Something we need to encourage more. Come to most of our services, the only one lifting their hands are the ladies. <laughs> and the guys are like this. Hey, I'm glad you come to church. I really am. You know, but it'd be nice if you participate a bit more. Paul says, I wish men would lift everywhere, would pray, lift up their hands. They say, well, that's uncomfortable. Well, you know. Some people kind of do half-mast, you know, which means somebody died, you know. (laughs) Half-mast flag. (laughs) Anyway, I'll move on. I also want the women to dress modestly, modestly, ladies, all right, cover the girls. Don't need to see the tatas. All right. We're all for them. But cover them up. All right. Dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves. And now we're going to get into a little tricky wicket here, sticky wicket, which I'll try and do with just a second. Here we go. Not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So here's the sticky wicket here. Uh, There are people who believe, teach even to this day, we call them holiness preachers and denominations that believe women should never dress up at all because anything, all the fancy stuff is inappropriate. Uh, They should never cut their hair they all, you know, the most extreme version of it would be like uh, the Amish, where they all have to dress the same, and they're supposed to look as plain as possible. And to them, plainness is a testimony to God, which I don't necessarily agree with, but I don't have a problem with it. I mean, they're great people, and they're doing it strictly because they want to honor God. Well, that's impressive, you know. So, I mean, everybody has different ways of expressing their faith, and we've got to allow for different expressions of faith. Um, and it's fine, you know. So you got the, the Amish, then you've got Mennonites who are like rebellious Amish. 
<laughs> they kind of dress Amish, but they allow for more color and splashes here and there, which is heresy to the Amish. And then you've got us who just, we dress whatever. <clears throat> so now, this, again, here's one of these cultural things that Paul is addressing in his time, and he's not done. It gets worse. Hang on. Uh, so um, who knows in the culture of his day? You have to understand, everybody back then pretty much wore the same thing. Uh, they didn't have colorful anythings. Man, they didn't have shoes like this. I guarantee you right now. And they didn't have red any. I mean, all of this would have been extreme, psycho, crazy. There was pretty much two colors, black and purple. That's what it was. And you could tell you were wealthy because they would be dressed in purple. I don't know where the I guess I could have looked it up, but I'm lazy. I don't know. I don't know where they get the purple from. For some reason, that was like the hip dye of the day. And, uh, you know, anybody who was anything would have wear purple and everybody else would just have, well, you know, just look at any period movie of the day. They all just wear what looks like just bland cloths and what we'd call rags. That was their dress. You know, there, there wasn't color. They didn't have color. They didn't have, now we have chemicals and all kinds of stuff today. There's all kinds of color splashing out here. Man, if we were to get transferred back into time, we'd stick out like that. <laughs> like you cannot believe just our shiny jackets and go, what is that? <laughs> you know, uh, much less any kind of color and splashing or psychos with shoes like this, you know, would just, wow, they'd probably burn me at the stake thinking I was a witch or something like that. So uh, that was just the thing. So you'd have normal people and then you'd have the people who had money and kind of would overdo it and overdress and he's kind of knocking that because then they would do it with elaborate hairstyles and gold and pearls or expensive clothes. Now, here's the thing. Today, women can have elaborate hairstyles and gold, but most of your gold isn't really gold anyway. It's like gold-plated. <laughs> hardly any gold in it. If you have pearls, I'm pretty sure they're not real pearls. Uh, and all this, you know, version of clothing. The own, it was kind of a rare thing that people would wear that. And he's saying to them, man, don't, don't do that and try and get all this attention for yourself. Dress modestly. There's some argument that they would think women of the night would dress in such ways. Okay, so anyway, it is what it is. He's trying to tell them to dress modestly. I think we can dress modestly today. We don't have a problem with any of the colors or the hairstyles or Again, we just, it's a different world. It's not even close, not even close to the world that Paul is writing from, uh, the way we look and stuff. Now, in our own world, there are people who do go over the top, and you all see it, right? Uh, but a lot of times, you know, um, these are people who are coming to church for the first time. I know some ladies get mad when some new ladies come on a Sunday morning and they, they're dressed they're like borderline hookers, some of them. <laughs> but, but that's their version of dressing up. Their version of dressing up is what they would wear out to some nightclub somewhere, you know. The girls are all hanging out, and they got all this sparkling dresses up to, oh, don't bend over, dear Lord Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and we see them all the time coming through Sunday morning. And sometimes ladies get mad at it and say, Pastor, I think these women dressed inappropriate. Look, if they were committed members of our church, I'm sure we could minister to them over time about we don't normally have that problem with committed people. But we invite everybody in. Somebody says, well, they look like hookers. I said, well, what if they are hookers? We are a pro-hooker church. You know? Have a sign. Hookers welcome. And I don't care because anybody's welcome here to hear the gospel, which means they're going to come in looking all kinds of ways, which is fine. So well, I don't like my husband. Look at him. Then slap your husband. It's really easy to stop that, you know. You know, smack him upside the head. He'll he'll figure it out after a while. So, uh, say, well, the Bible. Well, again, these are people. They don't really know what the Bible says. They, you know, just getting them in the door for some of these people is a big step, a really big step. You know, there's there's people they kid around it, but I I think they really think they're going to be struck by lightning. (laughs) When they come in, because they just never come into places like this. And the whole time they're sitting, there's like everything's new to them. They've never seen anything like this and hearing the gospel for the first time. So while we have a certain standard of propriety, if you want to use that word, which nobody ever uses anymore, a certain way to dress 
appropriately. We all get, most people get appropriate dress versus inappropriate dress. I'm just saying, you'll get a lot of people who will come to church, and if, it's their, if they're new at this, they generally come dressed inappropriately. I'm talking ladies who dress inappropriately, but they don't think it's inappropriate. That, that's the way they dress if they're going out you know, on a hot date or something like that. That's their only version of dressing up. They either come looking like the cat dragged them in here, or we get some of those as well, which is fine, uh, or they come in, ta-da! You know, with the stiletto heels and all the stuff that I know some people don't like. Shut up. All right? It'll be fine. It'll be fine. We are going to attract all kinds of people. And we need. And you know when you see someone like that? Especially you girls. Not so much the guys. The girls should go up and talk to them. <laughs> How you doing? Good to see you. I'm so glad you're here. La, 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 la. And, and be nice to them. Don't say anything to them. Now they were here, you know, and saved and baptized and everything else. And they're still dressing inappropriately. You kind of, you know. How many of you know it takes a little time to grow in our faith? Okay, it takes time to grow. You know, thank God we're not what we used to be. All right? A lot of us, some of us were really bad people. (laughs) Really bad people. And we did horrible, unspeakable things. Uh, How did we change the grace of God in our lives, the kindness of Christ and, and growing in our faith? So... Cut people slack, grow in your faith, and don't get mad at people who aren't quite there yet. All right, now, now, you think that was a sticky wicket? I don't even know what that means. What's a wicket, Lathan? You're kind of British. (laughs) It's the stick in a, see, I told you, South Africans are kind of British, Commonwealth people. What would make it sticky? Do you want a sticky wicket? You're not supposed to have a sticky wicket. You want it hard and not, is it cheating if you have a sticky wicket? Is it like putting something on a baseball? Yeah. And that's why you watch this program, so that you learn totally insane things that matter to nobody. All right, so, you think the last one was a sticky wicket? Greasing the ball, if you were. If you will, look at the next chunk of verses. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. This, this is not a popular verse. Now, I want you to put it in the context of the day. In the context of the day, there was part of this verse that did shock people. And it wasn't the last few words. It was the first four. A woman should learn. What? That was the reaction of that day. You have to that. We're talking the East here, the Middle, even to this day, 2,000 years later, there's all huge chunks of the Middle East where women can't be educated. They can't drive cars. Although I heard Saudi Arabia's finally caving in on that one. Oh, what? Horrible deeds will occur now. Uh, they, they were Anybody who thinks Christianity puts down women are delusional. Christianity is the one thing that came along and changed the way people thought about women. Paul taught that there is no difference, he says, between male and female in the kingdom of God. He says women should learn. What? Yeah, they should do it with quietness and full submission. See, in their context, that was the emphasis. And our, we don't even read the first four letters. We just hear, what? Quietness and submission. I ain't submitting to nobody. All right? Uh, so that's really the big difference here. Uh, and again, if you were going, let's say God calls you, you have a vision, a dream, and you know, you're supposed to go to Qatar or some Middle Eastern country, Saudi Arabia, and, and some guy walks up to you the next day and says, I just feel God told me to give you $10,000 because he wants to go to Saudi Arabia. And all of a sudden, your boss says, you know, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm firing you. And all of a sudden, everything happens. And you think, I need to go to Saudi Arabia. Uh, you get over there, you will have to adjust to their culture. Some of these kind of phrases adjust way better in Eastern culture and Middle Eastern culture than they do in Western culture. Western culture, we don't like it. And I am pretty doggone sure that Paul would voice some of these things totally differently were he in this culture. Why do you say that? Because Paul says, I become all things to all people that I might win some. 
that was one of the knocks on him, that he would adjust the way he would approach people. And he didn't like it. You know, especially the Jews hated it because he would talk to non-Jews, us, and tell us how we can come to know Christ and be forgiven of our sins and the way he would adjust. And, you know, we could eat anything we want, which to a Jew was unfathomable. He's going to bring that up in just a minute as well. Uh, so he, he, he would do that. He said, I'll, I'll do whatever I got to do. When we read his sermons, when he, whenever he preached, particularly to the Jews and stuff like that, he would quote scriptures, he would lay down his argument biblically about this, that, and the other. But when he went to, to uh, Greece, and he was in Athens, and he was at, you know, that place where all these idols and stuff like that, he got up and he started preaching to them, and he never quotes a scripture. In fact, he quotes one of their own prophets. You know, it'd be like someone quoting, you know, as the Beatles used to say, all you need is love. And this is why you need love, that kind of thing. That, that's what he did. He quoted one of their prophets, you know, about this, that, and the other. Totally changed his approach. Why? Because he understood. You go and quote a bunch of Old Testament scriptures to the Greeks, you must be a dog barking at, a, at, barking at the moon. They're not going to hear a thing you're saying. So some of these cultures, we've run into several of them with Paul, uh, and you know, it's just some of them are hard to even comprehend what he's talking about. Uh, and by and large, virtually all the churches I know of ignore what he says about some of these things because it just doesn't make sense. Some of his arguments. Remember, he talked about women, you know, men should uh, uh, not have long hair, right? Wasn't that he said? I can't remember. Something about and women should not cut their hair or have their heads covered because of the angels. He doesn't tell us what angel. He doesn't tell us anything. It doesn't make any sense. We don't even know. So most churches, we just kind of go, yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. And we go on. It's not that we're evil. Uh, Peter writes, I told you about this last week, one of the comforting things is Peter writes, and he says, there's a lot of things Paul says that nobody really knows what he's talking about. <laughs> and I go, yes. <laughs> Finally, somebody else of the day would concede that he brings up some stuff. Um, so there's the stuff where there's no, and he never threatens any punishment from God for it or anything else like that. But the stuff where he was really serious and said this would bring, you know, punishment from God or judgment from God. For example, communion. Back in the day when they had communion, you remember the Last Supper was actually a supper. It was actually a meal. So when they got together and they had a communion, it was, it was a potluck. Everybody get together and they would do the Lord's bread and they'd have, you know, a couple of sandwiches, you know. So uh, he got mad at them and says, you guys are, you're pigging out. Some of you are acting like gluttons. You're not sharing the food equally with everybody. Some people don't get to eat. Some of you are getting drunk because they're really slamming the, you know, give me all, oh, praise God for that wine, you know, you know, which really blows the argument of Christians who say they didn't drink wine, they drank grape juice. Really, how much grape juice do you got to drink to get drunk? So they were inappropriately, and then he said, well, if you do this, you will eat and drink damnation to yourself. Wow! Well, that's serious. And ever since then, communion is a little tiny cup and a little tiny slice of bread. You know, why? Because none of us want damnation on us. So you talk about, so that, can, you talk about, we were here, we went, whoa! Okay, probably a bit of an overreaction, but better to take it more seriously because they weren't taking it seriously. So stuff like that, we address and still deal with to this day. But he would bring up some things that didn't make a whole lot of sense and there's really no anything else he says about it and we just, we move on. So anyway, the uh, radical thing that he's saying in this thing is that women should learn. And then to uh, protect himself from the pullback of that culture, he would undermine that, you know, they should do it quietly and submissive. I don't permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. All of these are toss-outs to this culture that did not think women should learn, much less teach. He said, well, I, I don't get them. So I really think he's literally in that culture presenting the gospel in a way that they can relate to. And his argument was, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. I mean, we're really fine-tuning stuff here. <laughs> you know, he's basically saying, well, you know, it was Eve's fault we got into this mess. You know, uh, really, where was Adam? Where was Adam? He wasn't doing jack. He comes along, wife says, here, he says, okay. You know, so I mean, it wasn't not exactly, he was this great <laughs> spiritual man. So they're both jacked up. And then he says this verse, which 
I have no idea what in the world he's talking about. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue faith, love, and holiness with propriety. What? So, different ways of translating this or interpreting this. Some people say, you know, you have to remember these are days there's no such thing as birth control. You got married, you pretty much got pregnant, guaranteed, unless someone's really wrong. And a lot of people died in childbirth. And what he's saying is, you know, just, you know, be faithful to God and he'll keep you safe through all of that. Other, you know, the most crazy version is a woman has to have a child before she can be saved, <laughs> which is moronic thinking wrapped up in pure idiocy. All right? So say, well, Pastor, what does it mean? I don't know what he means. What is he talking about? I have no idea. None, zilch, zip, nada. I'm with Peter. I don't know what he's talking about. All right. And that's probably number six so far that we've run into, where he says something. Most of it has to do with the culture of the time, and we have no idea. And in fact, when you read most of these theologians, you get all these big, thick things, and they don't know. Either. I've read these guys. They're, you can tell they're guessing. Oh, look at me. They, they say it with absolute authority. But there's little substance or backing for what they're thinking. So they, there's just some things in the New Testament, very, 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 very few, you can count on one hand, maybe two, that you read and you go, <sighs> don't even know what that means. For example, when Paul wrote about these Christians who were baptizing for the dead. What? Who baptizes? You know, we don't even, have no idea what we're talking about. The only group today that actually baptizes for dead people are Mormons. And they use that verse. And they, whenever you see these uh, Ancestry.coms or any of those kind of websites, if you'll check out the vast majority, as far as I know, unless they've been bought out now, may have been bought out now, are owned by Mormons. That's their thing. They're heavy into genealogies. Who comes from where? And there's a fly in my ear. Holy cow, what was that? That's what it sounded like to me. When the flies, that was very loud. Did you see a fly? Okay. Or my ear is giving out, all right? Uh, the Mormons, you know, baptize for dead people. So when you convert to Mormonism, they want to know who all your relatives are. And they have all these genealogies and all these big sites and stuff like that. So they can trace back. And then you get baptized for all your dead relatives and stuff, which I think is creepy. I, they do it from the one verse. See, that's where the Bible says you need to rightly divide the word of truth. You can't just take one verse and build off just one verse all by itself. When you do that, you're on weak standing. The one thing that is said over and over again throughout the Bible is in the mouth of two or three witnesses. You know, are there several statements that say to do a certain thing? For example, if somebody finds a verse, you know, you should stand on one leg when you pray, which it doesn't say what I'm saying. I say, well, we should all stand on one No, no, no. Well, it says that. Well, yeah, but it's the only time it says it. And we're not going to do something because one time. Stuff that is repeated over and over and over in many ways, that's stuff we pay attention to. So, and write off the things that we just don't understand. And I don't understand that. So, so moving on, because <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that. Uh, he says this. He, he starts now getting into qualifications for religious leaders, spiritual leaders of the day. And uh, they had several layers of leaders in the early church. And what's fascinating is even to this day, Nobody quite understands the system they had. Uh, they understand deacons because it was real clear that deacons were people that basically just served in the church, dealt with the serving, make sure that everybody was served fairly. Uh, in a lot of churches today, a deacon is like he's a, a mini power broker in the church. You know, oh, I'm a deacon in my church. Well, I gotta, you know, really, a deacon is just a servant. Uh, so, but they were important servants, and they were respected as such. Why they had a different status as special servants, I don't know. I don't get it. Uh, the initial deacons came up because the Christians at that time, it was all one gigantic commune. And they started complaining because some ladies got more food than the other ladies. The Jewish ladies got more, and the Greek Jews that converted didn't. And there was this big fight. Can't imagine Christians fighting. And uh, so they put in these deacons to make sure that the food and stuff was distributed fairly. From that, it took on a more of a spiritual meaning, but I don't know. They bet you got pastors, you've got uh, prophets, you've got uh, bishops, you have elders, you have overseers, you've got deacons, 
You got, you know, anyway, they got all these different things. Uh, apostles, um, evangelists, all kinds. What we pretty much have today in churches is pretty much just pastors, uh, a few acknowledged evangelists and, uh, and deacons in the church. We don't have a lot of this. Bishops, that was another thing that they had. The Catholic Church came along later and added cardinals and all kinds of different things. That, you know, they, if anybody perfected church hierarchy, it was a Roman Catholic Church. They've got everything until you get to the yo mama guy, you know, over in Rome. So they really took it to a new art level. Uh, so we're going to read about some of these rules and so like, Again, in most churches today, uh, especially in evangelical churches, you don't have much. You might have a bishop. A bishop in some denominations is like responsible for many other churches, uh, that kind of thing. Our friend Gary uh, Rivas from South Africa, he's a bishop over a lot of people in South Africa. He's responsible for all these churches, so that kind of thing. Um, so anyway, let's take a look at some of these qualifications. It's, it's the qualifications that are of, of note, not necessarily the specific offices. So here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer or a leader in the church, basically, desires a noble task. It's a good thing to want to be able to uh, rise up to a position in the church where you can have more influence, but not, not for yourself, but so you can serve people and have more of an impact. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach. So he starts going down the list of qualifications if you're going to be an overseer. Uh, number one, you need to be above reproach. You need to be faithful to your wife. You need to be temperate. You need to be self-controlled. You need to be respectable, hospitable. You need to be able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but a gentleman, not quarrelsome, always looking for fights, not a lover of money, 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 money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and that he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Why? Because Paul goes on to say, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? So that's really the standard. Now, this standard is broken a lot today. There's a lot of pastors, quite frankly. Their home lives are an unmitigated disaster. Uh, you know. Now, some of them have minimal roles of leadership, so okay. Uh, but even some churches where the head guy's running it, their, their kids are hellions, his wife hates his guts, uh, she's out misbehaving. You know, so I don't know. It is what it is. I, I won't mention any names, but I can think of several <laughs> that are in major positions of authority and influence in the even evangelical church today, which is why we come under that category, who their personal family is an absolute disaster and mess. I guess they just overlook this stuff. I don't know. He must not be a recent convert. So you don't take someone who's fairly new in his faith and put him in a position of leadership. Why? He may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. The devil is a guy who became conceited, not because he was a new believer, but that's, that was his thing. Satan fell in love with himself. He was really good looking. <laughs> I don't know how good looking that had to be, but he was gorgeous. Gorgeous. He was like the most stunning creation God had ever created. And everybody went, wow. And he knew it. And he was the ultimate narcissist, the story of narcissists who looked into the water and saw his reflection and fell in love with himself. This is actually the sin of Satan. He became obsessed with how incredibly gorgeous he was. People oftentimes, you see pictures of the devil, you know, with two horns and a long red snaily tail, <laughs> pointed tail and scaly. Uh, no, 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 devil, he makes Brad Pitt look ugly. You know, I mean, the devil's a good looking dude. And, you know, had a lot of influence in heaven uh, and obviously corrupted himself and made some very, very bad decisions. So that was the fall of Satan. He says that's what an early convert is more likely to do if all of a sudden you start giving him authority in the church and you can start calling the shots. Well, he can get all conceited. And, uh, although it's not just, you know, there's people who get conceited even though they've been Christians for a long time. It's stuff that we're not supposed to do. Uh, what else does this leader have to do? He has to have a good reputation with outsiders. Even people outside the church should look at this guy and they respect that guy. That's one of the things. You know, it's, it's one thing, it's kind of interesting, some of these things. He says, look at the people around them. Look at their family, look at their kids, look at how their wife acts at home. Look at how neighbors react to this guy. Uh, 
that's how you know you've got a really good guy, uh, which is fascinating, see, because anybody can pretend to be anything. You know, I always warn people who are dating, you know, don't, especially women, don't just listen to what the guy says. Well, he said. <laughs> and I get to so many women who've been in failed relationships and they're devastated. And the one phrase they keep saying over and over and over again to me, but he said this and he said that. And he's, well, seriously? You just believe everything he said? Uh-huh. Well, that makes you dumb, all right? <laughs> and it's interesting. You go back to Paul. It was the woman who was deceived, you know. I don't know. They, you know, they love words. They love words. <sighs> it's cocaine to some of these women. Just, ooh, say the right words. <sighs> well, it's nice to say the right words, but look at their lives. Look at the people around them, especially if he's been divorced. Call his ex. See what she thinks of him. Talk to the family. Talk to the family of the ex. I mean, seriously, all kind of, look at how people deal with this guy. Well, you don't do that, and a lot of these guys actually hide you and shelter you from knowing their world. I'm warning some of you singers, that's what they do. You can't get to know their world because they kind of hide it, and you don't really, and you just believe everything they say. Well, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, people around us tend to be a good mirror. You want to see what a person's really like? Look at the people around them. You want to see what a, what a lady's really like? Look at her husband. How does he react around her? Is he afraid of her? <laughs> His, hey, women, women can be as abusive as men. It's true. I mean, there's women who beat the snot out of their husbands. I mean, just brutalize, rip their faces off. Jimmy Brasher tells that story. <laughs> Sherry kicked his face and he, he needed reconstructive surgery. He said, I got in a fight and lost. <laughs> Apparently, Sherry just trashed him, which I think is kind of funny. But anyway, uh, you know, how do their children act around them? How do their spouses act around them? How does their family, how do their friends act around them? You want to really look at somebody, look around them. You following me? That's what Paul's saying here. Don't just look at the guy because one guy can act anyway. So, uh, he says, not only do you look at how people in the church respond to him, look at how people outside the church respond to him. He should have a good reputation with outsiders. Yeah, neighbors, oh yeah, I like that guy. He's a great guy, stand-up guy, everybody likes him, he pays his bills, he doesn't, you know, doesn't let his dog poop in my yard, whatever it is. Why? So that he will not fall into disgrace and then into the devil's trap. So you know that you're really dealing with a good guy. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, Sincere, not indulging in much wine. Again, for these Christians who say in the New Testament they just drank grape juice. Y'all are just crazy. You know, you listen to too many Jimmy Swaggart preachings or something. That's, that's real AG, you know. You're, it's all grape juice. It's just all grape. No, it wasn't. That's why he warns about the drunkenness and the wine and don't drink too much wine. Wine was wine. Jesus turned water into wine, not into Welch's grape juice. It is just one of the most, and I, I just people all over the world listen to me. Some of you go to churches that they tell you that. They're just crazy, all right? They're your church. You go there, be nice to them. But they're wrong. They're just wrong. They're just wrong. <laughs> Jesus turned the water into wine, and they all immediately said, man, you left the good stuff for last. You don't say that about grape juice. <laughs> Ever. I've never had a grape juice one. Oh, man, that's a good bottle of grape juice. That was, a, that was a really good week that week. Pure nonsense. It was wine. Don't indulge too much wine. In other words, don't be getting hammered. And don't pursue dishonest gain. Again, honest man. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. And if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. What do I mean tested? <laughs> Run them through the ring of fire or anything like that. It means vet them. Check them out. Who is this guy? Who knows him? Oh, I don't know him. Do you know him? Oh, I don't know him. Yeah, oh, yeah, I know him. We've, we've been friends for 20 years and this, that, and, you know. You, they want to know in the church. These are solid people. All right? Why? Because there's a lot of unsolid people. It is what it is, you know. But that's okay. Hopefully, they'll become solid. You know, if you're not solid right now, let's get you to go along with the program here and become strong and solid in your faith. Let them be tested. And if there's nothing against them, then they can serve as deacons. In the same way, the women 
are to be what? Women. Women deacons. We do know in the New Testament that they refer to deaconesses. These are women who served. Well, now this is interesting. You know, there are also women prophetesses. They would prophesy. Which again, what does Paul say? Well, I don't, I don't allow women to speak in the church. Well, he let the women prophetesses speak. And in fact, those prophets didn't ask permission. They just did it. And, uh, you know, these women serve. So again, I don't know what he's talking about. There's all kinds of versions of explanation. I just, and I move on. Clearly, women had roles, even a leadership role. Uh, So trying to understand all this stuff, I I don't don't get it. But anyway, the women, also, some of these leaders in the church should be worthy of respect. They're not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in anything, in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Why? Again, look around them. Look at his family. Is he faithful? Has he been a faithful husband? Uh, Because we don't get to just judge off of one individual who can say whatever he wants to say. Look at the world around them and the people they have influence over. They should reflect his character. Those who've served well gain an excellent standing and a great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So it's a good thing. He starts out saying, it's a good thing to serve, and he ends, it's a good thing to serve. All right? Uh, But they need to be stand-up guys if they're going to lead the church. And I'm sure everybody can understand that. Then Paul says, although I hope to come to you soon, another argument for those who theorize that he got out for a little while, uh, being of prophetic origin himself and God speaking to him, they think, well, he wouldn't have said stuff like that if he didn't think he was going to get out. And there was a couple other places in some of the other letters, same kind of thing. So whether he did or not, they don't really change anything. It's just... So um, I hope to come to you soon. I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, of course, being killed would pretty much put him in the delayed category, if that's what happens, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true God in the springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up into glory. Little poetry from Paul there talking about uh, Jesus. Now the spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Ooh, what is that? I, I wish he gives a little bit more detail. He gives us some, but uh, some te- such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. That describes a lot of people, uh, not the people of faith that I know of, but just people in the world who do all kinds of horrible things and they advocate that you should never feel guilty about it, and uh, especially sexual things. They have a whole art. They've been trying to, the whole sexual gener- revolution has been surrounded by people teaching people, don't feel guilty, don't feel guilty, don't feel, because why? Because everything in you says, this isn't right. And you don't even have to be, know what the Bible says. I mean, you just, you know, virtually everyone who ever gratifies him or herself immediately senses guilt. And they keep trying to tell them. And it's not because I preach at them. It's just that's a normal reaction. It's your body and spirit. It's the same. Wait, wow, what, that, that's not right. What, what just happened there? It's, it's the guilt. But what they, keep, they keep doing things over and over again. So they sear their conscience. It's like taking a hard iron and just burning it to where they can actually start doing these things. And it doesn't bother them anymore. Uh, and that's when they think they've really gotten um, freedom. Well, he's warning about these kinds, some people like that who actually work their way into the church. I'm not aware of anybody in such a setting today, but, well, I guess that's not true. There are people who claim to be devout Christians, uh, but are very pro-immorality, very pro-immorality, and uh, they think anything goes, um, and they're just, they're deceived. The good thing is very few people listen to these guys, but I, I know some, I know one personally, and it's heartbreaking. Uh, anyway, and then they talk about some of these things these guys teach, which doesn't make sense with today, uh, the guys I'm thinking about. The only information he gives us is some of these guys forbid people to marry in order them to abstain from certain foods, which God 
created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. Okay, I told you he'd get to the food thing in a minute, and there, that's where he does it. And the, the people who still hang on to Old Testament thinking and believe that the Bible's going to tell us what we can eat, what we can't eat, you only can eat Ezekiel bread, and you can't eat this, and you can't eat pork, and you can't, that's what the Bible says. They're just nitwits, okay? That, that's Old Testament stuff. We don't live by that. Paul says you can eat any stinking thing you want. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is, to be, if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. The thing about Christianity is you can pretty much eat anything you want to eat. The only uh, pro, uh, prohibition to the Christian church established by the early church leaders is you shouldn't eat food offered to idols, which Paul said, well, just don't ask where it comes from. <laughs> Talk about trying to find loopholes to get around stuff. Don't ask, don't tell. That was Paul's version of the food. So he was very much, and you're not supposed to, you know, drink blood. Not on my list anyway. So, uh, But they said one of the things, so they get real crazy about, you know, doing things and not doing certain things, forbidding people to marry. I don't really know of anybody who does that kind of stuff. Uh, I suppose there's some weird cults out there that do that. I know that there were a lot of people like that in the 18s, and I gotta wrap this up, just got a couple of minutes. But in the 1800s, mid-1800s, there was a massive revival in America. It was called the Second Great Awakening. It was one of the most powerful impacts on American culture at the time. Any truly educated historian knows about the Second Great Awakening. Uh, they don't teach it anymore in schools because heaven forbid those guys that want you to learn about God moving. But uh, it was a massive revival. People, especially at the whole Eastern Corridor, just, it was incredible. Uh, every day at noon, entire cities, Boston, all these, would shut down so everybody could go and pray for an hour. This was common. I mean, it was a big deal. People were getting converted. Uh, stories of some of these sailors, of course, <laughs> pretty wicked behaving men, would get close to uh, the shore of Massachusetts, which today is so liberal today. I mean, that was like the center of Christian activity in the mid-1800s. Would just getting close to the shore would begin to fall down on their knees weeping and crying under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And no one had said anything to them. Uh, read about some of these pastors and preachers of the day, you know, Moody and some of these. They tell stories how they would just walk into a... One guy, it wasn't Moody, I can't remember who it was, it doesn't matter. But he writes in his biography or whatever, he walked into this um, factory. Somebody knew he was a pastor and stuff like that. He's a preacher, great preacher. He so anointed of the Holy Spirit. And this is what people were praying constantly and just God was moving everywhere. He wrote about this one time, I just walked into a, a factory and I just stood there and looked at everybody. Pretty soon everybody was on the floor crying out to God for forgiveness and something. Holy cow! I mean, that's pretty powerful. So this great awakening was a massive thing. All kinds of religious groups popped up at the time, but some of them were a little nuts. And uh, who? Who's that? I know. George Fox? Huh? The Quakers, yeah. They're a pretty small group today. There's still some out there. I was in a big Quaker church, actually, in California. Nothing like back in the day. The reason they called them the Quakers because when they pray, they'd quake. It wasn't because they ate the oatmeal. All right. <laughs> And they would quake and stuff like that. And, and they, there were all kinds of weird things. And they had groups that did forbid marrying. Uh, and uh, I saw a great documentary on uh, PBS about one of these groups. Uh, there's a song that's famous from the group. Da, 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 da. You know the song is familiar to anybody? That was their song they were famous for. There's like two of them left now because none of them married. And you have any babies, you pretty much disappear after a while. All right? Uh, there were all kinds of things. They had all kinds of weird rules and restrictions. You know? Do you, do you know where graham crackers came from? <laughs> You're not going to believe a word I'm about to tell you, all right? Google it when we're done, and you'll see for yourself. Graham crackers was created by a preacher, and the reason he created it was to help men stop masturbating. 
the theory was that the reason why people had sexual impulses is because their food was too spicy. So he created this bland cracker to help them behave themselves. <laughs> Google it. Do it, because I ain't making this up. The same is true of cornflakes. It's the reason they made cornflakes. So of course, we take cornflakes and put lots of sugar and stuff and bring it back to life. But all that was originally bland food to keep people's sexual urges under control. And, uh, you know, they had all kinds of weird... So even in the midst of a great revival that transformed the nation very powerfully, we certainly could use a third great awakening in this country, without a doubt. But... Uh, even in the midst of that, there were a lot of weird groups that popped up. And Paul would talk, warn about, watch out for some of these weirdo guys who forbid to marry and only make you eat graham crackers and <laughs> cornflakes. You know, because there's, there's been crazy people for a long time. I'm just not aware of anything currently. Anybody, I don't know of anybody that uh, weirded out today. The only thing about the whole graham cracker, and I'm going over a little bit over, but uh, the one thing that does bug me about that still to this day is that the church is still looking for a graham cracker for people. They're always looking for some way to help people control themselves. And they come up with all these goofy things and looking for, I've been to some of these things, we're all looking for programs. We need to develop programs to keep people, you know, from our young people from doing this and all the sexual improprieties. You know, the Bible gives us an answer. For those of you who want to have sex, the answer is have sex. I like this answer. With your spouse. Get married. Get married. You want to, you're burning up? Get married. Say, well, it's hard to find somebody. Oh, I understand. But that's the Bible's answer. You didn't tell us to look for programs and promise rings and, you know, accountability groups so man can hold each other's hands so they can't grab their willies, you know, or whatever. I, now I know a lot of guys who do this, and I guarantee you the vast majority of churches I go to, they're all into that stuff. I, it just breaks my heart because I don't think the answer is a program or some kind of a graham cracker, a modern-day graham cracker. The answer is Christ in our lives, the power of the Holy Spirit that teaches us to control ourselves. The grace of God, Paul writes to Titus, I believe, we'll get, get to it, so I'll probably preach this twice, <laughs> is uh, the grace of God has appeared that teaches us to say no and to control ourselves. If you can't control yourself, you don't understand the grace of God yet. If you think the answer for you is some kind of a new graham cracker to keep you from misbehaving, you don't get this. You say, well, I'm burning up, especially you young people. Just get married. That's what the Bible says. Get, you mean get married for sex? People laugh at that today. The answer is yes. Yes. In fact, Paul says, if you're not interested in sex, stay single. Right? Because he said, those who marry will have lots of problems in this life. And all the married people said, amen, praise God. Okay, so, but sign me up. I'm for... Motivation number one, all right? So uh, all these things, so it still breaks my heart in a sense that as much as we can make fun of these graham cracker guys, you know, back then, make no mistake, the church is still looking for a graham cracker, looking for a program, some kind of thing, some bullet, you know, you know, because they're obsessed and they're pushing kids to wait longer and longer. You wait till you're 30 years to get married, like so many people are doing today. You are going to end up sinning sexually unless you're a very unusual person. This whole delayed marriage thing is a bad idea for people of faith. Marry young, do it right. Now, if you're not interested, stay single. I don't care. It's your call. But uh, we certainly don't need some new version of a graham cracker. We have the grace of God who gives us the ability to actually behave ourselves. You say it's hard. Well, yeah. That's why it's called temptation. But everything's hard. I don't know about you, but I don't like to get up in the morning. I'd rather not work. I would love to have a job where I make less of money doing nothing. It would be awesome. I'd sign up for that tomorrow. It's all kind of a thing. I don't like to mow the lawn. Of course, in my case, I pay someone else to do it. <laughs> but you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things. I don't know. Life is filled with things we don't want to do, right? But we can control ourselves by the grace of God. Let's pray. Because I'm six minutes over my allotted time. <laughs> oh, Lord, our God, we love you and we thank you for the grace of God. Lord, it's not through our own human efforts, although there needs to be human effort, without a doubt. We need to intentionally do the right thing. But ultimately, it's not our effort that keeps us uh, from getting into trouble and doing things we shouldn't do, but it's your grace. 
your spirit in us. Help us to live spirit-filled lives so that the grace of God can enable us to do things that we can't do on our own and do things in a way that will honor you. We thank you for this. Grace and peace to all those listening to me tonight. Thank you, Lord, and bless us as we return again next Wednesday in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right. Go Google Graham Crackers. (laughs) 